Welcome to the artistic interviews for uh, Architectures of Hiding Symposium presented by and organized by Cryptic. Um, we're here today with Anahita Noruzi, who is originally from Iran and now lives in Montreal. Uh, her interdisciplinary practice spans from spatial installations to sculpture, photo and video-based work, and she holds degrees in fine arts from Concordia University in uh, Montreal. Um, Welcome. Uh, I am Ryan Steck, the artistic director at Art Engine, and I am here with. Hi, it's Pallavi. Uh, I am one of the coordinators for Cryptic and uh, the, one of the co conveners for Architectures of Hiding Symposium. Welcome, Anahita. So uh, we're just going to get right into our conversation and uh, explore um, your work a little bit. Um, we'll start off with the, uh, a nice uh, foundational question. Um, and you, the inspiration for your work um, is, is quite vast and um, a complex sort of entanglement of historic and personal events, particularly around trauma. Do you want to talk to us a bit about that inspiration and how it developed into the thing um, that you have here with us? To uh, develop the project, I was interested to understand and uh, to navigate the links between um, the formation of the body and repression. The question that I had in mind um, throughout this project were um, through what strategies does the power structure construct in disfigure and um, alter the body of the individuals and so the society and uh, what kind of body is ultimately produced through this exercise of power. So to explore that, I go back in time, a sort of um, time travel as a historical method to um, investigate the links between the architecture, memory and history and by focusing on the institutions like school, hospital, and prison um, through which the state imprints uh, power on the bodies, or um, I would say actually destroy bodies to eradicate memory in order to um, conceal certain parts of their history. So the project is kind of rooted in a political events that specifically affected my family before the Islamic revolution of um, 1979. Um, I drew from my own personal um, archive of memories, texts, and family stories to create a rewriting of history that um, in a strange and unexpected way connects uh, the three cities that I stayed and lived in for a while, Tehran, uh, Montreal, and Berlin. So um, this, this story begins with um, Berlin's 1942 Sachsenhausen concentration camp, then moves to Allen Memorial Institute in Montreal as a reference to uh, government psychological experiments uh, conducted on citizens during the Cold War in 50s. And finally concludes in Tehran's Tohid prison where my father was confined as a political prisoner before uh, 1979. Can you um, elaborate a bit more on the speculative aspect of the work? I can see you um, sort of intermixing the personal memories and the historical events 
Um, and uh, But you do talk about uh, there being a sort of speculative component. Can you talk a bit more about um, how you see that, that role of speculation and the development and, and of the work? So when I decided to start this project, this is like a part of my family history that we really never talked about. Um, and I think a part of it is uh, because of the trauma that my father experienced. So he kind of, um, um, they call it repressed memory. So you basically um, create memories or you totally forget a whole part of the certain events uh, when you were experiencing the trauma. So um, I really never had this conversation with my dad before this work. So for me, this work was an opportunity to actually open this conversation. And he doesn't remember much. And um, so we have certain information, uh, where, when, how, but beyond that, there was not much that I could figure out even at the end of the project. And when you go through this, when you take this journey with me through this, this performance, at the end, you actually realize that I learned a lot about so many other things, but not finally what I was looking for when I started this project. So that's where this um, kind of speculative aspect of the project comes in. And also when we are talking about Allen Memorial Institute, we, we, like there is no way that we have actually get access to the archive. And what we see um, and the way that this topic has been approached is it was always, it's been always like a kind of uh, a conspiracy uh, uh, theory, you know, like um, it's never been even taken seriously by the government themselves. So, um, so there is a lot of, uh, speculation comes in when we don't have the actual uh, the access direct access to the archive and to the information and I kind of like that because um, it kind of opens a space in a democratic way for artists to intervene and kind of have their own input about certain events that they are not uh, talk about really in official history. Thank you. I, I think, Anahita, uh, I was going to ask you, what are some of the challenges uh, that you faced? And I think you started talking about that already. And it's very intriguing, this idea that, you know, the agency of uh, which is both public and personal, um, the side of the collective memory versus personal memory. And also what I feel is this, you're talking about repression, uh, the repression of memory. Uh, but also you're talking about a performance uh, to bring that out. And the performance is so public. It's so, uh, you know, live and you're presenting uh, instead of repressing. So I think that, uh, do you want, I, I, I'm just going to ask you in a slightly different way. And I know um, I, we wanted to ask you about what are the challenges that you faced during this. So if you could put further elaborate on that, but also, uh, in some way address this idea of how you do the performance that is linked to uh, the repression of memory. Um, how do you set up the space? What are some of the spatial setups that you employ? And we saw in your photographs how you set up uh, your table with that radio and the cassette uh, tape and uh, other things. Maybe you could, if you can elaborate a bit more about the spatial implications of such a performance? How, how do you set that up? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so that was the interesting thing because um, one of the challenges that I had was researching and looking for more information about these sites and accessing their archive. And here we are talking about the concealment, right? Uh, especially in such an institutions with a, a high degree of power concentrated, uh, which is something interesting to think about because when we are living, uh, because we are living in an era where satellites and surveillance cameras make it almost impossible for citizens to hide, uh, to conceal. And we are constantly um, under the gate, the cities have turned into these urban panopticons, but these institutions are so powerful that they are literally impenetrable to public to watch over their activities. Um, so you also asked about the repression and the way that I uh, use different uh, media material to, uh, to create this work. Um, so when we are talking about the memory repression, it's like, it's like a natural reaction when someone experienced trauma. To be honest, I was kind of intact through, uh, like through my childhood uh, with this, uh, this experience, but my part and like my family has been always very active politically. Um, so this conversation kind of started uh, in 2010, I was at a time in Iran and we had this green movement that were large protests uh, going on for months and so many people lost their lives um, it was brutally repressed by the government at the time and it was my first uh, political engagement um, actually um, coming out and talking about what i want and what i don't like um, and that was the time that we actually started having this conversation with my dad because he was worried and at the same time he was respecting it and then we started talking about past and um i think like for him it was a kind of like a healing process maybe after so long talking about it you know uh bringing it up so um and then so it becomes it became a kind of like a, a topic that i wanted to explore more um and using different medium, um, I, I felt like this story is so interesting because um, at the time I was also, as I said, thinking about um, the, the relationship between power, the state and repression. And I came across this story that, um, that was going on in Montreal in 50s during the Cold War. And for me, it was um, really like, I was really surprised by this because um, we are talking about the third world country and first world country in the if we think of that kind of categories that already exist and um, we're talking about a country that is super democratic and how come such uh, such experiments can happen you know um, so um, so and I find similarities that was the reason I uh, I wanted to explore this more and then um, I uh, I, I was uh, on the uh, on a residency in Berlin at the time, so I, I was also having this daily trip to Sachsenhausen concentration camp to learn about the, the histories that was going on there. I was like, wow, this is like, I see so many similarities that it was crazy to just uh, to even think about um, the same mechanism, the, the mechanism, the same practices, the same mentality, the same kind of 
ideology that was backing up these uh, this, uh, practices. So that's the reason I thought, okay, um, I have to tackle this and how should I tackle that? And um, I thought about writing and uh, kind of starting from this starting point, which was my father experience and then going to, to this broad um, story in uh, starting opening it up more and more and kind of showing, exposing these similarities that exist between these three uh, places that they are located in three different parts of the world. Um, as you were talking, I was wondering about the sort of uh, temporal aspect of hiding and um, revealing. And so I, I wondered about this temporal quality of um, how we find strength in the shadows and then the the revelation that needs to come and when those things need to come. I wondered if you could talk a bit about that in, in terms of bringing these things to light, but also how you've reflected on that. And if I may add to that, uh, Ryan, I mean, I was thinking on the same lines, but this idea that how the memory repression and revealing actually goes from one generation to the other as well um, between communities. But, you know, your father's experience, but you taking up uh, the role in this? Um, so I wanted to uh, uh, tackle this kind of peers into this uh, guarded boundary between the personal and, and institutional and uh, in order to engage myself and the audience in the um, act of revealing and bringing the uh, hidden to the surface. Um, I was um, the child of the revolution. I was the part of this first generation after the Islamic revolution of Iran in 1979. And um, I, the way that we grew up and the, that we were taught in a school the, the whole social system was kind of educated us that um, to, to kind of back up the, the, the Islamic ideology that was existing in the system. And we never really participated in any kind of like uh, act of criticizing the system or uh, thinking even about criticizing the system. The system was perfect and uh, in like untouchable and uh, so for me, um, being out in 2010 during those protests was kind of the first time that physically I occupied the space out of my um, out of my domestic space to to talk about my ideas, to talk about things that I agree or I don't agree with, and uh, it was kind of coming from the. Uh, um, coming out to talk about something that has never been touched. And um, so for me, like this, the, the idea of coming out of uh, your personal space and occupying the public space was a kind of touch upon this idea of um, um, talking about something that was concealed and uh, talking, it, talking loud about it. Um, but like going back to my project and uh, kind of talking about um, topic of repression uh, that the uh, that Pallavi was asking, um, I wanted to uh, by looking into the histories of an institutionalization um, 
trying to critically navigate the tensions between um, the kind of concealment and transparency and discipline and transgression, um, excess and restraint. For me, it was a way um, to understand how uh, concealment can function as a condition of both order and disorder. So I could get a better understanding on subjects such as uh, madness, uh, psychological repression, law, and uh, I wanted to bring to attention uh, the ways in which such institutions of power um, structure and conceal their stories and histories about themselves, trying uh, tyrannically to control the writing um, of history by hiding their failures and uh, messiness, hiding their desire to produce a sort of um, disi disciplinary regime in order to um, order to regulate the bodies uh, that they categorize as disorderly. So um, to create a society made of um, what Foucault calls uh, docile bodies, this brings me to this culture of concealment as a regulatory and disciplinary practice uh, in such an institutions, which is um, designed to correct or conceal violations of social order, which we um, can see its man manifestation in their architecture as well and the way that they, uh, they regulate this space. Um, for sure. And I, I, um, I wonder, you know, um, in through your reflections on the role of the state and um, uh, in the process of concealment, um, we're in the midst of another very complicated space of um, asking the state to protect us from, uh, in privacy terms, right? This, uh, this other kind of concealment that we're asking of the state or that we, we thought we had from the state and maybe we're pushing for more or in the, deep in this debate anyways. Um, throughout your piece, have you thought about um, how do we navigate this space um, of the institution where it needs to say, uh, hide or protect us in this concealment and how do we know how do we navigate that space between the problematic hiding and the and the much more um, protective one which we need from a state so the more I was reading the more I was like fascinated by how this culture of con concealment exists in this powerful institutions and it has been practicing uh, for such a long time, and it is still exists. Um, so for me, uh, it was interesting to think about um, if you're talking about a uh, democratic system, like democracy as a way to make these institutions uh, responsible and responding uh, to their histories, to their, um, to their stories that, uh, and to their actions every day more and more people demanding this responding and this responsibility from the government and these institutions, um, we might not get there fully, but like just taking action, asking them for answers is a very important part of this whole process, I think.
And for and for you, that is that is sort of entangled with this notion of storytelling, to to sort of bring things to light. Exactly, I feel like that's why the personal stories become so important at this point. When we are talking about the writing of the history, we are always talking about the official uh, official approach of it, like institutional approach to it. But that's the reason these personal stories become so important because uh, these personal stories have no voice when we are reading the official history. And at the end of the day, for me, these are the most important aspect of the history. These are what constitute history, you know, these personal memories uh, that make it more democratic, you know, make it more, uh, um, adds different sounds and different voices to it. So um, gives it different aspects and different dimensions. Um, it's not just the, once like certain ideology that writes this history it's it's democratic so i think that's the reason personal histories are super important you know on that uh, note um, Anita, i want to say that you started with a personal story your dad's story and then you went a full round with your own a uh, kind of um negotiation with that story um what was the reaction? Did did you have a chance to see what the reaction of your dad was? Or uh, alternatively, who were the audience? What kind of reaction did it elicit from the audience uh, when you told these stories? Uh, my father hasn't seen me performing this, um, but he saw the video and... Um, we really didn't talk about it. That's interesting. You have to you have to understand that we are talking about, like if we think of each family as a system, in this system, we had this uh, long time to talk about this topic and which was never been talked about, you know? So I'm not, I wasn't expecting having any kind of special reaction um, by him when, uh, when, um, when kind of he listened to this, uh, he didn't even see the video, he just listened to the audio. And um, we really didn't talk about it. But like I, but that's also interesting for me, it was, it wasn't, it's been never something that I tried to hide it from anyone. But I noticed after this performance, I actually never talked to any of my friends about this. You know, it's kind of like internalizing it, you know, in some ways and just putting it aside. Again, talking about repression, you just you just don't look at it. And so that was for me, um, took me courage to actually take it, face it and be able to talk, to, uh, talk about it in public. Um, kind of my motivation was, it started after a conversation with a friend of mine, very good friend of mine. Um, and she told me about her father um, experience being uh, uh, interrogated, confined and tortured after the Islamic revolution. So what happened to my father was before. And, um, and I didn't know about that either. You know, it's kind of like this idea of like hiding these personal stories because Sometimes even people are ashamed of that, you know? Um, and then we talk about it, like we've been friends forever and we never really had this discussion. And it's really important because it's kind of like uh, made us what we are, you know? 
uh, in some ways, uh, we, ra we were raised in that, we grew in that environment. And, uh, and then that, that was where the idea came from, came from that this is something that so many people might have experienced in different ways, but never really talked about it. So let's share it. Interesting for me to think about it as well, because uh, um, yeah, I can go on, uh, con contextualize the project and talk about the theories that back up the project and uh, talking about all this, um, uh, yeah, but like when it comes to the personal aspect of it, I really don't think about it. I just do it, you know. So it's kind of for me a way to also reflect on my motives and my more personal feelings towards it. Well, this I think probably there's a sense of of revealing to yourself as well, right through the process of making um, that this isn't um, why we make is to discover things along the way um, and that there's sort of a, 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 an intuition and a sense of importance of trying to explore and reveal a certain story, but knowing um, and seeming that you're um, discovering and unfolding elements of that story and those reflections through the process. And this is something that I didn't even think about, you know? It's interesting how people get different readings of it. And I love that because it helps me to see it aspect of it that I just did it in an intu intuitional way and not really maybe conscious, uh, even though I was trying to have full control over the storyline and everything, but there's always some aspect of it that it's being perceived from outside that might be considered to me as the creator of the, the piece, you know? That's what uh, is so fascinating about stories. I think you've put it so rightly and uh, it just goes out and reverberates with different people in different ways. It's beautiful. This is great. Thanks uh, so much for your time uh, and your insight into your work. Um, it was really uh, enjoyable uh, speaking with you. Um, it's a wonderful uh, project and um, thanks again.